Welcome to Ground Up, a podcast about propelling entrepreneurship in Uganda, brought to you by Uganda Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Initiative. I'm your host, Hamna Makajo. Let's get started. All right, so today we have, uh, we're privileged to have uh, Katuchi Kasandi uh, from Andy. Uh, we're going to be talking about ecosystems and uh, Andy's approach to uh, that topic. Andy is an organization that has uh, quite an extensive uh, experience uh, and knowledge base on uh, ecosystem building. So we are very happy to have uh, Katuchi uh, and welcome to the show, Ground Up. Thanks, Ham. Nice to see you so today. Let's, <laughs> same here, same here, definitely. Um, let us start with maybe you telling us about yourself uh, and your role at Andy. Uh, thanks, Ham. So my name, as you rightfully put, my name is Katuchi Kasandi. I am a chapter manager with Andy in East Africa. And what that means is that I oversee Andy's programs and uh, operations in the region. Uh, and I've been with Andy for the past, for, the, for about the past five years. And my role has evolved, but in everything that I've done, I've always maintained that as sort of like ecosystem building role because it is at the core of the work that we do at Andy. And really prior to Andy, I worked with different organizations, but most of the organizations I worked with, we had a specific intervention that we were implementing for us to uh, cause um, change or for, not to really cause, but to inspire change. But what has been different at Andy is this uh, whole approach of looking at how different um, factors within an entrepreneurial environment play together to ensure that entrepreneurship thrives. And I would say that actually that's the thing that has also made me stay at Andy this, for this long. I am a person who gets fascinated by ambiguity. And if there's one thing that, um, Ham, you can agree with me because now you're in this ecosystem building work is that ecosystem building is not linear. Every day has a new challenge, uh, has a new opportunity and we, and we adapt by the day. So yeah, I'll stop mm. there and I'm happy to share more in the course of it. Uh, of the podcast. So great. This is true. Yeah, ecosystem uh, building is, is 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 a very nebulous ar arena. I, I like to liken it to um, herding cats, um, which is a very, very difficult task. Uh, however, for, for those who may not know about, uh, you know, what, what, what entrepreneurial ecosystems are, could you sort of, um, you know, paint that picture for us and, and, and uh, in addition to that, let us know why Andy is particularly interested in, in entrepreneurial ecosystems. I think I've touched on it a little bit, but I would say the easiest way to um, think about an entrepreneurial ecosystem is to think about the environment in which entrepreneurs operate in. And this environment has different constituents and each of them has to play together uh, to ensure that uh, entrepreneurship happens. And if you think about the different uh, aspects that exist, you could think about uh, finance, you could think about business support, policy, market, human capital, infrastructure, research and culture. And all these are just the different facets that make this ecosystem in which you operate in. Uh, the ecosystem approach comes largely from the systems thinking approach. And as you know, uh, how uh, systems thinking, especially from a biological perspective is looked at is that a human body, each and every part of a human body has to be okay for the body to be fine. So if the hand has an issue, the whole body has an issue. In the same way within the ecosystem, if for example, there are issues around um, the enabling environment, regardless of how well the finance, is, uh, the finance aspects or business support uh, aspects are functioning, then it means that the entrepreneurs will not uh, uh, be able to thrive optimally because there's one piece that is not uh, at its best. So uh, to your second part, uh, which you uh, basically just wanted to understand why Andy is interested in this, I think, uh, or I believe that at Andy, uh, given the kind of businesses that we do support, really those ones that are uh, opportunistic based, they're very growth oriented, we believe that uh, the environment in, in which these entrepreneurs operate in has a direct or indirect impact 
on whether the entrepreneur thrives or not. So for us, we are focused, we are uh, embedded, we are we, we, we have centered all our energy to ensure that all those different facets actually do happen for this growth-oriented, opportunistic-based entrepreneur to actually get the support that they need to thrive. Okay, so that's quite interesting. So there's two elements I see to this. There's the entrepreneur themselves and I guess the environment around which, um, within which they operate, which includes the various I guess support actors, right? Um, yes. So, 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 tell me why then not support uh, entrepreneurs directly and 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 and, and then focus on the environment. Um, and 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 for me to to first of all think about that question, I would say that generally, Andy's model is centered around working with the entrepreneur support organizations and not the entrepreneur themselves. And the reason why we um, focus on this approach is if you think about the kind of impact and scale we could have by working through the intermediaries is much more uh, than probably what we would have if you work to the entrepreneurs directly. And this is also just based off from a resource perspective. Uh, right now, if you look at the Andy members, so for example, a typical accelerator or an incubator or an investor, in one uh, year, they could potentially work with um, over 50 entrepreneurs. But Andy and the staff that we have, it would be very hard for us to work with entrepreneurs at that scale. So the model that works for us is to work with the intermediaries and then strengthen their capacity so that now for them, they are able to use the resources to actually transition that uh, support and impact to a wider group of entrepreneurs. But ultimately, Andy's goal or Andy's vision is to the end user who's the entrepreneur to ensure that they are getting the kind of support that they need uh, to create jobs, to stimulate um, economic growth, and even to produce social and environmental benefits in the developing economies that you're operating in. So yeah, so that's how I would look at it. Because I, I know there are entrepreneurial ecosystem approaches that work directly with entrepreneurs. And I assume they do that because they do have the muscle to work with the entrepreneurs directly. So in Andy's approach, it's easier for us to work through support organizations and get to a larger scale. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, um, uh, you know, another picture sort of that forms in my head is, you know, a water system, right? You know, with, with water being collected, say, in a reservoir, and it's trying to get to the end uh, user, say, yourself. So uh, when it comes from a, to a health perspective, you can do all interventions with, uh, with the end user, say, around, uh, you know, cooking the water or, you know, removing all the, uh, the pests and all that in the water. But if ultimately the piping that brings the water from the reservoir to... Um, to 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 the end user is 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 corroded is is blocked. Then ultimately your efforts at the other end with the end user won't bear that much fruit, right? So I guess yeah. what you're saying is you guys are working on the piping, right? Yes, yes, and that's such a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> so having said that, um, I mean UEEI is also you know uh, you know it's in our name, Entrepreneurial uh, Ecosystem Initiative. Um, do you see any distinctions between how Andy in itself is approaching um, this ecosystem building versus what uh, UEI is, is trying to do? Um, at the fundamental place, I would say that both of us are pretty similar. If you think about uh, UEI and UEI is centered around uh, four pillars. So thinking about how do you uh, convene, learn, um, design, and um, fund? And is uh, also centered around those pillars. So if you look at mm -hmm. our work, if you look at what we do, it is largely around convening. It is bringing different um, stakeholders within the entrepreneurial ecosystem together uh, to, to, to allow them to start identifying, to provide a platform where they can start uh, identifying initiatives and design 
then we can get catalytic funding to get them um, scaled and over and above that continuously ensuring that uh, there's a learning aspect to it. We are teasing out best practices, we are disseminating them to the larger ecosystem. Uh, however, I would say that right now, Andy has an, one extra mandate that I know you, I probably will adapt, but you're still, um, you're still building your uh, expertise on this other force. So we are also getting into advocate as a pillar. However, I would say that there are, when, I, when I think about the fundamental difference between the two, I would have to say that that has to be in terms of how the network is structured. So if you think about UEI, UEI is an open network uh, where everyone in Uganda who's supporting entrepreneurial ecosystems can actually self-select themselves into UEI. But Andy is a closed network. So Andy has identified the kind of stakeholder groups, uh, which we like calling them member types that can be a part of the network. And then there's also a membership fee that you have to pay for you to be a part uh, of the network. Uh, and is a global organization that has um, regional roots or regional uh, chapter offices. While as it is right now, UEI, UEI is a local uh, entity that is uh, based of, that is based out of uh, Uganda. So I would mm -hmm. say that fundamentally, I would think about it um, that way. And uh, really, if you think about UEI having started um, without having like that global umbrella, like it's an initiative that has started from the ground up, I, I would say that there is also that benefit uh, from of UEI where everything about the initiative is going to start from the ground up. And um, yeah, which, which is also something that is very distinct to uh, UEI. And thank you for using the word ground up uh, that many times because uh, that's indeed our <laughs> <laughs> the name of our podcast. So I really appreciate the shout out. Um, so, um, so 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 what 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 specific challenges um, do you see, or what 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 specific differences do you see in the two approaches? You know, Andy has uh, you know the membership approach, um, and you know. Um, I guess your, your interventions are dictated by a certain, you know, your certain focus areas. Whereas like you said, UEEI is really the bottom-up approach where the ecosystem actors are the ones who sort of uh, are going to define or are defining the issue areas. So what, what are the challenges you see um, in terms of, uh, not challenges, but what are the differences or what are the implications of, 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 of approaching it in those two different ways? Yeah, and 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 Ham, uh, before I just get into um, responding to your question, I would also just mention that Andy being a network-based organization, at the core of our model is that anytime there's a new intervention, we also have to make sure that we get to like that, like we get that feedback from members. So our agenda mm -hmm. is largely dictated by members. We do have an advisory that constitutes of members, which we call them steering committee groups that actually uh, help us define the agenda of the network. But outside of mm -hmm. that, if I was to think about the uh, probably the challenges or even the opportunities uh, for both approaches, uh, thinking about UEI first, obviously, because we are here because of the UEI podcast. Thank you. I would say that, <laughs> I would say <laughs> that, uh, for you, I uh, by the fact that I is an open network, it immediately lends itself to allowing inclusion. So inclusion and inclusion can be looked at it can be looked at in very different many ways. So inclusion could come from a place of um, I will be able to attract uh, different players that probably are even beyond the different Andy member types. So like a government, a local government is not an Andy member type, but that's an entity that for UEI, as long as they're supporting entrepreneurs, they actually have the opportunity to, uh, to engage them. And, 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 and there are many other, uh, other entities that Andy engage, has engaged at a global level, but we're still trying to figure out how to engage them locally. Like for example, academia. But UEI has that advantage of engaging such types of actors from the onset. And I would say that still sticking to that inclusion aspect of UEI, I am very cognizant, especially uh, being based in a market like East Africa, I'm very cognizant that 
Sometimes there are organizations that might be interested in joining uh, Andy, but they are not probably able to join because of the fee. Uh, and UEI being an open network, it also allows uh, inclusion in that sense. So, but with inclusion, there are also, there are also downsides to inclusion. Because I imagine uh, when you're bringing all these voices together, uh, yes, you're going to have diversified perspectives, you're going to have rich perspectives, but you're also going to face challenges when it comes to um, arriving at a consensus. Because uh, yeah. when, when you have too many people together, it might take you longer to get into that consensus. But I yeah. actually believe that in the long term, having those different diversified perspectives, no matter how long it takes you, to find a place where you have actually uh, defined what is that unifying factor. It's, this model will become probably more sustainable. Right now you're saying probably because it's a model that Andy hasn't tested and you are testing mm -hmm. it. So the vision is that it will yeah. become more sustainable than uh, any other method. So, and then if I was to think now about Andy as the uh, closed network, obviously it has its perks. So I would say that one of the perks of the closed network, which is largely Andy, is that by the time a member is getting to paying the fee, they actually believe in the vision. So there's already some consensus building that has happened before they even select themselves into joining the network. So then it becomes easier for you to arrive into a decision uh, in terms of where do we want to prioritize or to focus our efforts. And then mm. again, related to just that, uh, having like that uh, membership fee, I think there are not, I think I actually believe there are aspects of accountability that comes with that. So accountability uh, in the sense that uh, when you have paid for something, you value it more, you demand for better quality because there's, there's actually that commitment that you put in there. So um, that would be a second thing that I would mention there. And then I would say that right now, as you're getting a lot more into ecosystem building, as you're getting a lot more into uh, network development, we are realizing that some of the frameworks that already exist that uh, support us with uh, doing this work. So for example, social network analysis already um, would work best with a network that has a boundary. So okay. and, and let, me, let, let me explain that a little bit more. So when you're doing uh, a social network analysis, which we will talk about it a little bit uh, later, uh, where you're trying to understand what, uh, what are some of the connections that exist within a group of people? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the strengths so that you can work towards building, um, uh, building connections? Uh, then it means that you want to have a set out group of people that are coming to meet periodically so that you can track if there's any improvements in terms of how they are connecting, how they are collaborating. In an open network, there could be a situation where you tend to get newer people coming into the network every so often. However, like with a place where there's a closed network and it's bound in terms of the time, so Andy's membership is one year, then members are locked into that engagement for one year. So if you want yeah. to track their relationship or their connections together, you actually do have a set period of time that you could do that. However, I think for us, uh, when it comes to UEI, uh, the, the opportunity still lies in, um, and Ham, I think you can speak more to this than I, uh, I am, that we ultimately envision where we will move into the broader group, into smaller groups that are structured around specific issue areas. And when that happens, hopefully then that becomes the boundary that is set to allow us to be able to utilize some of these frameworks. So for us, we do not see um, like that open network as a, a challenge, but we, we already are thinking about how can we work with what we have and still ensure that we are providing value and we are still um, we are still providing opportunity for members to connect and track that connection over a period of time. So I will I would say in terms of in terms of the uh, advantages of uh, an, a closed network, I would look at it from that way. But at the basis or at the foundation of what would be a disadvantage, it would be the exclusion factor. Yeah, because mm. it's not everyone that would probably afford the cost. And then we do have uh, set out member tiers. Obviously, I know even as a network right now, we are working to even rethink about um, for tiers that are not a part of the network, how can we still ensure that we engage them 
And in the past, we've done this through uh, like some open activities, open events that are still bring together members that are not part of the network. But I know there is still a component of exclusion when you have a closed network. Great, great. So yeah, it, that aspect of inclusion is uh, very important. Indeed, um, you know, in our preliminary sort of engagement with the ecosystem, we are hearing uh, more and more people asking for inclusion. Um, for example, uh, entrepreneurs sometimes feel that they're not a part of the process of designing, you know, interventions that are seemingly made for them or are going to affect them. Uh, then you also have smaller, you know, support organizations, which uh, sometimes feel they do not have a voice uh, when, 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 you know, these designs or this support is being created for, for, for the ecosystem. So, um, yeah, I think inclusion is a very key, key um, aspect for, for UEI. Now, you did mention something about uh, building connections, and I know we're going to talk about social network analysis later, dive into that. But... Um, that's an important point because um, it, it, it might not be very obvious why you're trying to build connections. So, so, so from your perspective, why is this something that you're tracking? Uh, why is it important to build connections between the ecosystem actors? Um, I would say that, uh, first of all, for someone who's new into this ecosystem, building network development, they will wonder why we are consistently moving from ecosystem building to network development. But I would yeah. say, at based of our experience, based of my experience, if you look at one of the models that has really been tried when it comes to ecosystem building, is to use a network approach. So you will realize that in a lot of um, markets where we have networks, networks uh, sometimes are actually able to be perceived as neutral because they are not doing direct uh, program implementation with entrepreneurs and therefore they are probably one step up the ecosystem. And right now, even in East Africa, we are seeing that networks have sort of like become the channel to do ecosystem building work. So uh, when we started, we mentioned that uh, an entrepreneurial ecosystem has different dimensions. So whether that's policy, whether that's finance, business support, and within those different dimensions, there are different kinds of players. And the reason why they, at Andy we do the work that we do, at UEI we probably do the work that we do, is because that in all these markets, we found out that there tends to be a lot of silos between these different, um, between these different stakeholder types. Therefore, there needs to be someone who their day-to-day -day work is actually to think about what are the best ways to ensure that we start connecting the dots between the ecosystem. Because as we said, that for, their, for, for, for the entrepreneurs to thrive, all these different parts have to be somehow speaking to each other. And if they are not, then it means that there might be one function or two functions that are not working or they are not connected to understand how their work connects with these other people. So the network coordinators, ecosystem builders, they exist to fill that space where they wake up, they sleep, they dream, they think about what is it that we need to ensure that, for example, corporates are speaking with uh, small, and growing, uh, small and growing businesses or governments are speaking to academia. And as you're doing that as a network builder or as a network developer or an ecosystem builder, you also want to make sure that actually you are making progress. Like where you started yeah. is not where you stagnated. And one of the tools that now has come to light that allows us to actually keep track of uh, are the connections happening, are the collaborations happening, is this thing that we are talking about social network analysis. And how, I know we are going to talk a, a little bit more about this because uh, uh, I know at Andy and, uh, uh, and, and at UEI, uh, one of the things that we do believe when it comes to network development is that there is a sequence that happens. So you come in, you start facilitating those connections um, and those connections um, uh, uh, and those connections could be as easy as just facilitating introductions, but for people to move into the next level where they are probably even starting to coordinate on activities, it means that you are also ensuring that information is flowing from one aspect, 
one person in the ecosystem to another as a network coordinator you're always on top of understanding uh what what does this one have and what does this one need and how can i bring them together to ensure that they are actually exchanging information and helping entrepreneurs thrive and then once you get to that well-coordinated ecosystem or well-coordinated network is when now the collaborations will start happening and then it is these collaborations that will allow us to create the kind of impact that we want to create for entrepreneurs. So if we are just sitting still and not tracking whether the connections are happening, happening, then it means that we will not get to a place where we have a base where collaborations could start happening because that's the place where networks start having impact. If we don't get to that, then basically we are not, we, we might have some initial outcomes so that people are uh, getting information, but we want to just move from information to action and action has to be facilitated by getting to that level where there's deep trust and now people are even willing to collaborate on projects. So yeah. Great, great, great. That, that, that sounds like, that reminds me of what the Kaufman Foundation, uh, which is one of the leading sort of, um, I guess, thought leaders in the ecosystem building space, talks about um, innovation really thriving in dense networks. So from that perspective, then, you know, building connections becomes very important because uh, when the, you know, the, the denser the networks uh, are, the more connected people are, the more they can exchange information, like you said, the more they can start collaborating. And that's when innovation solutions, both at the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial level happen in terms of the products they, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll start pushing out. But also on the support side, if, if, if the various actors are working together, exchanging information and um, you know, collaborating, then there'll be innovation in safe you know, access to finance and things like that. So uh, thank you for that. Um, so moving on a bit, so given that this approach uh, focuses on, on actors rather than directly supporting the entrepreneurs themselves, right? Uh, what could be sort of the leverage points for creating interventions? Which, what areas, I guess, what are the, if you look, if you think about, you know, weaknesses and, 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 and strengths, what are those, obviously when we come with interventions, we're trying to fix sort of the weak points and also accentuate the strong points, right? So what are those points both the strength points or the weak points, which where you, if, if, if you intervened, that have uh, that much more impact than if, if, if you intervened elsewhere. I don't know if that question is uh, clear. Yeah, the question makes sense, Ham, and I will start. I'll start answering this question, and I'll pass it to you. <laughs> and the reason why uh, I'm thinking of, and the, the reason why I'm taking this approach is because now that we are no longer traveling. Now that we have you on board, I am not, um, I'm not doing as much work as I used to do in Uganda when I was the Andy lead for Uganda. Now we do have you yeah. who's taking up a lot of this work. So as of the time when we were doing um, the UEI phase one, I would say that um, one of the biggest challenges that was identified due, uh, through conversations with various actors in the ecosystem was uh, the enabling environment piece. So the policy piece, that was the mm. biggest weakness and specifically looking at, um, at the tax administration and the tax burden. And uh, mm. all, this, uh, all this had had huge implications either in terms of how businesses were growing and, um, and obviously in terms of the kind of value in terms of revenue that comes back to the government. So, uh, and I would want to hear, is that still the main challenge? And close, closely followed, um, uh, closely after that was the, 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 second the second main challenge was around finance. And when you talk about access to finance, we were looking at a lot of the businesses uh, that were interviewed or uh, a lot of the uh, interviewers were working with were at the place where they were experiencing moderate, moderate growth. And with that moderate growth, uh, they had gotten into a space where either the uh, capital that was available versus what they needed in the market, there was a mismatch between those two, or uh, there was also this huge source of financing that we hadn't, they hadn't explored as much, which is our local financial institutions, e.g. banks. But with banks, there were issues around um, 
uh, the interest rates, uh, the high collateral uh, required, the kind of procedures uh, that uh, uh, businesses need to needed to follow for them to access financing. So as at at as of the time we were doing the work, those were the two main um, sort of like weak points in the ecosystem. And if uh, interventions were designed to actually uh, help support either with tax burden, tax administration, and some of it could even just be an education component. Or if mm -hmm. there are interventions that were designed around ensuring that there's a, um, a, a match between the demand and supply of capital for moderate growth SGPs, or even unlocking ways to unlock um, access to finance through the banks, uh, that would be something that would, have, that would be very beneficial to the ecosystem. However, as I mentioned earlier, I know that uh, COVID has happened. A lot has yeah. changed. So side has yeah. also been interested in understanding, um, like from your side, what are some of those weaknesses in the ecosystem, if, which mm -hmm. is strengthened, would actually unlock a lot of value for entrepreneurs that are operating in Uganda. Yes, I think um, so. So we've had, you know, various engagements uh, with, with with the different uh, uh, stakeholders or ecosystem actors. Uh, as you know, we've had a series of convenings around uh, this topic that uh, is leading to, you know, formation of working groups within which those interventions will be uh, designed. So the two prevalent, by far, actually, that the, the main thing was the second one. You, you the main issue or challenge was the second one you, you mentioned, which was access to finance. Um, and access to finance is, there are very many reasons why access to finance is, this is a problem, but one of the bigger problems is that, that emerged from those discussions with, with the various ecosystem actors is that even when, when, when there's available finance uh, from you know, private equity or venture capital um, perspective, even bank financing, the businesses, the small but growing businesses, moderate growth businesses, SMEs, what have you, are not able to take them on. They're not in a point, at a point where they are able to meaningfully uh, absorb these investments and, 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 and uh, you know, use the funds to, 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 to drive them. And this is because one, uh, they lack you know, the, 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 the structures internally, the governance, uh, the record keeping that, that investors would, uh, that investors require to, 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 to sink money in, in such businesses. So thinking about that, then the two areas I'd actually point out that if, 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 if you actually, let me, let me just talk about one point. So, so access to finances is, is an issue, but I think the bigger underlying issue, a causative issue is the, 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 the low capacity, um, poor business practices for the SMEs, right? So, if you actually did some interventions to solve this issue, sort of capacity building, providing uh, BDS services, affordable BDS services, um, and pre-investment uh, you know, training or support to these businesses, then uh, I guess the access to, to finance issues is the bit because then they can accept, uh, they, they, they can actually, banks can actually have a basis uh, with which they can lend them. And investors also have books they can look at to see, you know, how, 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 how such businesses are performing. Then after that is fixed, then it becomes an issue of now is the, is the financing that's available very expensive? And then what do you do about that? So I think one area that would be significant in terms of a leverage point, in my opinion, is that area around uh, BDS support. Now, just, just moving on a little further from that is uh, the question around uh, success. So could you share, you know, where you've seen this approach being used successfully? What have been the key sort of driving factors for, for this success? Uh, thanks, Ham. And my response to this will be based a lot on, uh, on some of the work that Andy members have done in East Africa and outside of East Africa. And one of the elements that have, has uh, really been echoed has been um, work using entrepreneurs to train other entrepreneurs or ensuring that entrepreneurs are at the forefront of ecosystem building work. So, and just to also mention that for us at uh, uh, 
Andy and UEI, one of the things that we usually value even for candidates is when someone comes and says that they've had an entrepreneurial experience. And, and, and I know like with Ham, we have Ham who's co-founded a couple of businesses in Uganda. We know, right, we have a team in Uganda and we do have a communications coordinator, Faye, who has also run her business. Because we believe that there is a perspective that uh, entrepreneurs do have when they are actually shaping the ecosystem or shaping the work for other entrepreneurs. Uh, one of our members, they are called Endeavor. They did, um, through the Endeavor Insights, they did this report where they were comparing entrepreneurship ecosystems, uh, looking at uh, a town in India and looking at uh, Nairobi in Kenya. And one of the things that they were highlighting is that if you looked at the entrepreneurship ecosystem in India, it is largely led by the entrepreneurs themselves. And uh, in providing some of the recommendations they all, in the report, and one of the things that they highlight is that even with accelerators, um, as they're training entrepreneurs, they could start thinking about ways in which they could bring that uh, entrepreneurial experience within their catalyst that are training entrepreneurs within their selection processes to just ensure that um, entrepreneurs are at the forefront of shaping other entrepreneurs. And um, again, related to that, there's also this whole thing of, if you look at, like for example, even that market, a market like India, and if you look at some of the investors that are currently investing in businesses, they themselves have been entrepreneurs themselves. I know we can look at that market and see that the market is much more advanced than East Africa, but actually probably that's an advantage so that even as you're working with some of the entrepreneurs and nurturing them right now in the ecosystem, you can start shaping and building that culture of the entrepreneurs later on can pull up their sleeves and can come back and start supporting uh, their peers uh, who are uh, developing within the ecosystem. I don't know if this is true, but a statement that I said in one of those reports is that only an entrepreneur can train another entrepreneur. Maybe Ham, you can tell me if this is true or not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would say that's one of the things that we still really work. So entrepreneurs coming to give back, whether by virtue of training, whether by virtue of providing spaces for other entrepreneurs or providing investments for upcoming entrepreneurs. And then another thing that we've seen work, and this one probably is borrowed largely from um, high income markets. So like, for example, if you look at the, uh, some of the work that is written about ecosystems like the Boulder ecosystem and how the mentorships there were structured and some of the lessons that we drew from markets like those is that, and it's, it's a conversation that we've also really had with some of the members that are actually trying to build a mentorship practice in East Africa. So uh, for example, Mogli Mentoring, who's an Andy member based in Nairobi, but doing work across East Africa, is that for even mentorships to work uh, and be successful uh, is that both the mentor and the mentee have to get direct value from that relationship. So for example, you will see that even some of the mentors, they could even potentially be investors that are interested in venturing into a certain uh, market segment. So probably they want to start supporting health SGBs. If you have a health SGB that they could actually come and mentor and in the process understand the intricacies of running um, a health SGB. And in the process, the entrepreneur actually also gets to plug into the network, the knowledge of this entrepreneur. Then that win-win relationship ensures that the mentoring is sustained and is valuable for both parties. And I know this is an area that as an ecosystem, we've really been trying to do a lot to figure out what model works. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so that's one of the learnings that we bring. And I know there are also probably would be a lot more resources that are available within the mentoring work. Um, yeah. I think the, the third one that we've seen work in other markets is really shared facilities for entrepreneurs. And this one's we actually even do see here in Uganda. And I know how, uh, like in Uganda, there's an interesting uh, ex um, example with Curad. If you want to get in a little bit more into that and speak about how those shared facilities actually are coming in to support other entrepreneurs, I think that would be very valuable given that this is a UEI, so UEI podcast. Do you want to get into that? Sure. So, so Curad um, is, is um, uh, an incubator for in the agricultural space uh, that's attached to Makerere University. Uh, and what they do is they have shared facilities um, for, for different sort of um, uh, industries 
within, uh, well, different segments of the agricultural industry. So one of them that uh, I've found interesting is shared facilities for uh, the coffee industry. So they do have this facility where small startup coffee brands can come and do things like roasting, try out various um, uh, ways of, of roasting their, 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 their beans, packaging, um, that sort of thing. So they have machines that you know these entrepreneurs wouldn't be able to afford, especially at that very embryonic stage. And that helps them to, you know, test and do all the things that, you know, would be so expensive for them. So shared facilities are, are definitely a, a very good way to, to support entrepreneurs in a very meaningful way. Uh, thanks, Ham, for that. And uh, I think finally, I would say also in um, other ecosystems, uh, especially when it comes to the talent development piece, uh, we have seen instances where even when, so a model that we see a lot in East Africa is that uh, if you go to universities, you probably will find that in their business school, they actually do have an incubator to actually start uh, nurturing or uh, mentoring young entrepreneurs. However, in other markets, we've seen that those incubators, those accelerators, or some of those, that support is actually not provided at um, at the business school, it's actually taken to other departments like, uh, you know, the engineering department, uh, the uh, medicine, uh, the medicine department, uh, with the with the with the thought that uh, actually a business student already understands about business, but there are these innovators who could have very good innovations, but they have a challenge when it comes to the business sense. So, is there a space where you could provide platforms for them to start nurturing that? that uh, the business side of things so that they are able to combine with the technical one and actually launch successful businesses. Related to that, we've also seen markets where, and this would be high income and a bit of uh, Israel, we've seen markets where the corporates have really stepped up or stepped in to come and close um, skills gaps. So students, uh, engineers that are probably leaving uh, the universities and uh, they may not have uh, direct, uh, they may not, uh, they probably haven't had an opportunity to, um, to get internships. So they would pick like a cohort of students and then they would have a project within their uh, company, bring these students, get to work uh, uh, on a project. And in the process, the students are getting to actually uh, practice what they learned in school. They are, they are bridging some of those employability gaps that we keep highlighting in market. And beyond that, they are also getting an experience that will serve the purpose of enabling them to get the next opportunity because they've already had an opportunity to learn. So if we, were, we, we could start seeing some of those um, opportunities emerging in uh, the ecosystems that we operate in. So corporates being at the center stage of providing opportunities for our young graduates to actually, especially young graduates that, um, uh, um, that, that need to polish up on their technical skills and maybe the infrastructure may not be um, as much, may not develop as much outside of some of those corporates R&D uh, departments, uh, like that would be very helpful to the ecosystem. Obviously, we already mentioned about uh, entrepreneurs coming to also build the ecosystem by the virtue of financing them, being angel investors, providing um, yeah. facilities, etc. So yeah, yeah, quite interesting. I think also that you know that it's, it's quite intriguing that the 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 area around corporates being involved in also building the ecosystem and so so the capacity building. Is, 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 is and provision of expertise or building expertise is one way. But another way I have heard uh, people mention it is uh, access to markets for this SGB. So exactly. if, 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 if these corporates can, can, can have active policies that say, you know, percentage of, uh, you know, our procurement is going to go to, you know, small but growing businesses, then that would help greatly. And I think we have seen this happening in, in, in other markets. Uh, you yeah. had also talked about uh, something earlier on around Entrepreneur on the entrepreneurs training entrepreneurs. I, I I I felt I should address that. I think there are certain nuances within uh, the life of of, of of a business or running a business or starting a business that uh, unless you're an entrepreneur, you might not be able to, and you've experienced them, you might not be able to sort of understand them. 
Uh, so it definitely helps when someone has had that actual experience. Uh, it gives you a more, um, a, more a, a deeper appreciation of some uh, of the things that entrepreneurs go through. So uh, I hear your point around, you know, using entrepreneurs uh, to, 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 to be central in, in, in trying to fix some of these things and, and, um, and, and, and contribute to, to, to building the ecosystem. Um, so one thing, um, I think it's, it's, we probably could sort of shift gears right now. Mm -hmm. um, so in every intervention, you need to be able to measure success, right? So, yeah. I mean, when we're, we're, we're taking an, inter, an ecosystem approach to building the ecosystem, we are developing some interventions and we want to be able to be sure that the efforts we're putting in are actually bearing fruit, right? On the other end, yeah. or, you know, six months, uh, one month, what, sorry, one year down the road, what have you. So how do you, how do you approach measuring uh, success of uh, ecosystems within uh, Andy? Um, I would say that at Andy, there are different tools that we have leveraged. But even as I say that, I would say that this is a this is a field that is still being built, and probably later on we will mention some of the resources that are available, both even some of them from funders that have actually supported UEI. And one of the ways in which one of the tools that we've used uh, to just uh, be able to measure the success of an ecosystem has been our entrepreneurial ecosystem snapshots. And uh, for those who are not familiar with this, they are usually um. Uh, as it says, a snapshot of the ecosystem at a particular uh, point in time. And they really just help us, they provide data about the financial and non-financial support that is available to small and growing businesses between, uh, within a particular locality. In an ideal world, I don't think we've gotten, uh, we've, we've done this yet at Andy, but in an ideal world, actually we've done in, a, in, in the South African market, in an ideal world, for snapshots to actually be relevant, we'd want to have a snapshot of different points in time so that we can actually be able to see how the ecosystem is shifting uh, uh, in different points in time to see if the, there are more players who have left, who have joined, uh, is the support becoming more specialized ETC. So that's one. And then second, uh, secondly, uh, there, there are... In, so like in Uganda specifically, we have done a diagnostic assessment. But the whole point of a diagnostic assessment is that you want to have a baseline data and then you want to be periodically collecting that data to see how the ecosystem is shifting. So in 2018, we had the UEI phase one assessment. We did surveys with a couple of players, key informant interviews, uh, we reviewed literature. And now the ideal situation would be for us to come back after a period of time and check how the ecosystem has shifted across all those different variables that we checked, whether that was with regards to policies, financing, connections, etc., uh, so that we can see the kind of work and we are doing and other players are doing is actually shifting the ecosystem. Uh, earlier on, we said that at the core of ecosystem building uh, is network development. We use like the network approach to allow us to, I mean, to enable us to start uh, um, Closing uh, the, the the silos, the gaps between different partners, and in that I, part of sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, that, that that network development uh, approach has been thrown around a bit. Yeah. Do you mind going a little deeper into what exactly that is? Yes. Uh, so the network development approach, I would say, at the basis of it. It looks at um, network development from a place of uh, initially when you are bringing together people, the initial work that you're doing as the network coordinator is that you are starting to facilitate connections between people. And as you're facilitating those, uh, maybe let me backtrack to get a bit. You're starting to convene people together to just build trust before you even start facilitating connections. And when people are at a place where they are actually, uh, they, they've actually built trust, then you start identifying as the person who's weaving that network 
what are some of the uh, ways, uh, what, as, as I mentioned earlier, what does um, stakeholder A want? What does stakeholder B want? And how can I ensure that they are talking? So you start just that uh, immediate connections, you're introducing people to each other, you are ensuring that uh, if one needs something and the other one has, you're connecting them together. And as the network coordinator, you are the forefront of ensuring you're trying to understand everything that is happening within the network so that you actually have the right information on who to connect. And then, uh, and then, and then um, after some time, you actually move from that. And then you start seeing that the trust will have been built. There's a lot of information uh, that is being shared and is flowing. And therefore, automatically, people actually, even without you start sharing even these collaborative opportunities, where now uh, there's a proposal, can we bid together to actually ensuring we are closing these gaps around uh, the, the mismatch between demand and supply for capital. And it's at, at that place where that level of collaboration is happening, then, then we start seeing actually initiatives emerging that are causing change in terms of increasing capital for uh, providing the right capital for businesses, providing uh, the, right the right kind of talent uh, and information to businesses amongst others. So I don't know if that explains like that whole thing of like moving the network and developing it uh, across different yeah. stages. And I, yeah. I have to mention that it's not a linear approach uh, it, we, are, we are mentioning it linearly because that's the easiest way to understand, but uh, some aspects mm. could happen faster than others or the rotation, or they could come back full circle. But yeah, mm. typically that's what we mean when you're talking about network development as part of the ecosystem building work. Okay, I get it uh, from perspective. So the network is basically you're bringing together various entities, various people around a, you know, a, a shared purpose or uh, a, around a shared issue. And then yeah. um, the idea would be figuring out ways to tackle this issue. So yeah. you're saying that initially you have to help them build trust amongst each other uh, by you know, connecting them, giving them spaces to convene, and then uh, enabling with introduction and all that, enabling them to uh, talk to each other, um, hopefully to tease out collaboration areas. And then that's where the beauty of, of solutions and everything comes from. Got it. Perfect. So you are you are still talking about um, measurement. So you are you are starting to get into you know measuring these connections. I thought it would be important to first understand why we're connecting to begin with. Okay. So one of the ways in which these con connections have typically been measured is using the social network analysis, and uh, social network analysis. Um, basically will estimate how connected network participants are to each other. And it will enable you uh, as the network coordinator to identify where are some of the gaps and weaknesses when it comes to connections. And then as the coordinator, this is where you will build the intervention. If for example, you realize that there's a certain group of people that is not connected into the larger network, then you start thinking about what is it that you need to do to ensure that they are also connected to the other people within the network. And as you're doing that, actually, the different parts that you want to measure when you're using the social network analysis, I think uh, Ham has already really outlined them very well. We want to move from connection to um, uh, coordination to collaboration. And then within just that uh, measuring uh, how network is developing, there are also some administrative data that you could leverage. And some of this would be data that you're collecting from uh, the convenings that you're hosting as the network coordinator or um, beyond just the convenings, even like the, uh, the data that you're, like some of the work plans that you're having around the frequency of convenings ETC, like all these will enable you to know are, are we having more people coming in? Are people starting to lose interest? What do we need to do amongst others? And, uh, uh, and this is not just something, this is something that actually Andy, uh, does very actively to ensure that we are staying uh, on the loop of, are we losing members? Are we having new members joining in? Uh, if it's members, are we losing a certain type of members? Should we speak to them to understand what's going on amongst other things? And then there's a network participant survey where if you're running a network, you want to periodically uh, send out a network, uh, a network participant survey 
to really just get to understand the health of the network. Like what are some of the, uh, what are some of the programs or activities or experiences that are working for the uh, uh, network members? What are not working and what is it that you can do to actually address those ones that are not working? And um, I, I'm happy to leave it at that harm. And for as part of a resource, mm. I'm, I'm happy to recommend if, if you really want to learn more about these approaches, Small Foundation has done uh, a lot of good work. You could actually go into their uh, website and look at the um, IMM toolkit that they recently released for network coordinators. And this could be a very good resource for you if you, want, if you really want to understand those different tools and actually how you could uh, apply them into your network development work. IMM being? Impact measurement and management. And to, to, to feed that back into the network work, uh, like for example, if you're collecting information of what's working, what's not working, you're not just collecting that information and staying with it, but you're using it to make strategic decisions about how to run mm -hmm. the network. Or if you're conducting a social network analysis, and you realize that there is a lot of there's, there's a lot of collaboration happening within certain uh, types of people, but there's literally no connection amongst uh, certain types of stakeholders. You're not just collecting that information to store it. You want to collect that information to actually utilize it to make decisions around what is it that I need to do uh, to ensure that these other people are plugged in. Do I need to structure my events in a way that all the people that are sitting on the periphery of the network sit next to those ones that are highly coordinated, I mean, highly connected, so that we start seeing those connections building. And then after a period of time, you also make sure to see that changing. So the whole premise of IMM, as largely mentioned by Andy, is ensuring that you're collecting data and using that data to make strategic decisions, not just storing it. Great, great stuff. So um, any additional resources that you think uh, you could you know, if for someone wanting to dig in, you know, deeper into this, uh, what additional resources are out there to educate uh, ourselves to, to, to leverage in, in, in understanding this ecosystem building space? Uh, I think you can also check the Converge, uh, Converge I think that it's Converge.net. So they, uh, um, they have um, some of these methodologies that they've developed uh, to help with network development. They even talk about five C's of network development that would be very helpful for someone who's engaged in this kind uh, of work. They also have real life examples of some of the uh, network develop networks that they've helped develop from the ground up using some of these approaches. Uh, you could also check um, some of the work that Creative Metia has done. So you could go into their website and you could see uh, some of the research work that they've done with uh, networks in East Africa. And I think now they're expanding that work and they're doing it with networks in West Africa. There's also work that Andy has done. You could check our work around snapshots. You could check the Andy Entrepreneurial um, Diagnostic Toolkit that we developed and look at the different approaches that you could use to conceptualize the entrepreneurial ecosystem that you use and the different surveys that you could use to measure the impact of your ecosystem. There's actually even a sample survey that you could actually just lift it and uh, use it for that work. I know MIT D-Lab has also done work around ecosystem building in Uganda and across the world. So you could also check some of the resources, um, check out some of their resources in their website. Uh, for Uganda, check the work that Swiss Contact has done around the social network analysis. Look at the work that they've done in Kampala and Gulu. I think that would be a very good resource for uh, a practitioner that is actually based in Uganda. I'll stop at that, but uh, if, I, I'm sure if you need any additional resources, definitely HAM is available to redirect you, and I'm also available to redirect you where you can access them. So thanks, I think we've covered quite uh, an extensive um, field of, 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 of uh, sort of uh, topics within the ecosystem building thing. And uh, we are very thankful to you, Katuchi, for uh, joining us on Ground Up. Uh, me, I'm more excited that you've mentioned Ground Up. Uh, I don't know how many times <laughs> while you were speaking, so that's exciting. Um, so, uh, before you, you know, you you, you leave us at, uh, at at the ground up podcast. Do you have any sort of 
parting thoughts uh, that you want to leave us with um, when it comes to you know the topics that we've been talking about? Ah, yes. I the one thing that I'll mention is ecosystem building. As I mentioned earlier, it can be perceived that it can be difficult. It can be hard because you figure a lot of these things you figure them you figure out as you are actually doing it. And um, uh, this is the time where we are starting to really turn out resources to support ecosystem builders with their work. Uh, but um, I would want to, for anyone who's doing ecosystem building work and they are experiencing uh, the challenges and the difficulties, I'd like to leave them with uh, a quote from one of my uh, biggest uh, role model, who's Wangari Mazai, where she says that there are opportunities even in the most difficult moments. So even as you're doing this work, just think about where do the opportunities lie and focus a lot more on that as opposed to uh, the many other challenges that would come with the work. And with that, thank you, Ham. And um, I look forward to, 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 to just engaging with the ground up going forward. Thank you very much, uh, Katuchi Kasandi from Andy. Thank you very much.